0: Section 5 of the State of the Union Addresses, 1849-1856. to This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Spoken For. State of the Union Address, Millard Fillmore, December 2nd, 1851, Part 1 fellow citizens of the senate and of the house of representatives i congratulate you and our common constituency upon the favourable auspices under which you meet for your first session our country is at peace with all the world the agitation which for a time threatened to disturb the fraternal relations which make us one people is fast subsiding and a year of general prosperity and health has crowned the nation with unusual blessings none can look back to the dangers which are past or forward to the bright prospect before us without feeling a thrill of gratification at the same time that he must be impressed with a grateful sense of our profound obligations to a beneficent providence whose paternal care is so manifest in the happiness of this highly favored land Since the close of the last Congress, certain Cubans and other foreigners resident in the United States, who were more or less concerned in the previous invasion of Cuba, instead of being discouraged by its failure, have again abused the hospitality of this country by making it the scene of the equipment of another military expedition against that possession of Her Catholic Majesty, in which they were countenanced, aided, and joined by citizens of the United States." on receiving intelligence that such designs were entertained i lost no time in issuing such instructions to the proper officers of the united states as seemed to be called for by the occasion by the proclamation a copy of which is herewith submitted i also warned those who might be in danger of being inveigled into this scheme of its unlawful character and of the penalties which they would incur FOR SOME TIME THERE WAS REASON TO HOPE THAT THESE MEASURES HAD SUFFICED TO PREVENT ANY SUCH ATTEMPT. THIS HOPE, HOWEVER, PROVED TO BE DELUSIVE. VERY EARLY IN THE MORNING OF THE 3rd OF AUGUST, A STEAMER CALLED THE PEMPERO DEPARTED FROM NEW ORLEANS FOR CUBA, HAVING ON BOARD UPWARD OF FOUR HUNDRED ARMED MEN, WITH EVIDENT INTENTIONS TO MAKE WAR UPON THE AUTHORITIES OF THE ISLAND. THIS EXPEDITION WAS SET ON FOOT IN palpable VIOLATION OF THE LAWS OF THE UNITED STATES, Its leader was a Spaniard, and several of the chief officers and some others engaged in it were foreigners. The persons composing it, however, were mostly citizens of the United States. Before the expedition set out, and probably before it was organized, a slight insurrectionary movement, which appears to have been soon suppressed, had taken place in the eastern quarter of Cuba. THE IMPORTANCE OF THIS MOVEMENT WAS, UNFORTUNATELY, SO MUCH exaggerated IN THE ACCOUNTS OF IT PUBLISHED IN THIS COUNTRY, THAT THESE ADVENTURERS seem TO HAVE BEEN LED TO BELIEVE THAT THE CREOLE POPULATION OF THE ISLAND NOT ONLY DESIRED TO THROW OFF THE AUTHORITY OF THE MOTHER COUNTRY, BUT HAD RESOLVED UPON THAT STEP AND HAD BEGUN A WELL-CONCERTED ENTERPRISE FOR EFFECTING IT. THE PERSONS ENGAGED IN THE EXPEDITION WERE GENERALLY YOUNG AND ILL-INFORMED the steamer in which they embarked left new orleans stealthily and without a clearance after touching at key west she proceeded to the coast of cuba and on the night between the eleventh and twelfth of august landed the persons on board at plaitas within about twenty leagues of havana The main body of them proceeded to and took possession of an island village six leagues distant, leaving others to follow in charge of the baggage as soon as the means of transportation could be obtained. The latter, having taken up their line of march to connect themselves with the main body, and having proceeded about four leagues into the country, were attacked on the morning of the 13th by a body of Spanish troops, and a bloody conflict ensued after which they retreated to the place of disembarkation, where about fifty of them obtained boats and re embarked therein. They were, however, intercepted among the quays near the shore by a Spanish steamer cruising on the coast, captured and carried to Havana, and after being examined before a military court were sentenced to be publicly executed, and the sentence was carried into effect on the sixteenth of August on receiving information of what had occurred commodore Foxhall a parker was instructed to proceed in the steam frigate saranac to havana and inquire into the charges against the persons executed the circumstances under which they were taken and whatsoever referred to their trial and sentence copies of the instructions from the department of state to him and of his letters to that department are herewith submitted according to the record of the examination THE PRISONERS ALL ADMITTED THE OFFENSES CHARGED AGAINST THEM, OF BEING HOSTILE INVADERS OF THE ISLAND. AT THE TIME OF THEIR TRIAL AND EXECUTION, THE MAIN BODY OF THE INVADERS WAS STILL IN THE FIELD MAKING WAR UPON THE SPANISH AUTHORITIES AND SPANISH SUBJECTS. AFTER THE LAPSE OF SOME DAYS, BEING OVERCOME BY THE SPANISH TROOPS, THEY DISPERSED ON THE 24TH OF AUGUST. LOPEZ, THEIR LEADER, WAS CAPTURED SOME DAYS AFTER, AND EXECUTED ON THE 1ST OF SEPTEMBER. MANY OF HIS REMAINING FOLLOWERS WERE KILLED, OR DIED OF HUNGER AND FATIGUE, AND THE REST WERE MADE PRISONERS. OF THESE, NONE APPEAR TO HAVE BEEN TRIED OR EXECUTED. SEVERAL OF THEM WERE PARDONED, UPON APPLICATION OF THEIR FRIENDS AND OTHERS. AND THE REST, ABOUT ONE HUNDRED SIXTY IN NUMBER, WERE SENT TO SPAIN. OF THE FINAL DISPOSITION MADE OF THESE, WE HAVE NO OFFICIAL INFORMATION. SUCH IS THE MELANCHOLY RESULT OF THIS ILLEGAL AND ill fated EXPEDITION, thus thoughtless young men have been induced by false and fraudulent representations to violate the law of their country through rash and unfounded expectations of assisting to accomplish political revolutions in other states and have lost their lives in the undertaking too severe a judgment can hardly be passed by the indignant sense of the community upon those who being better informed themselves have yet led away the ardor of youth and an ill directed love of political liberty. The correspondence between this government and that of Spain relating to this transaction is herewith communicated. Although these offenders against the laws have forfeited the protection of their country, and yet the government may, so far as consistent with its obligations to other countries, and its fixed purpose to maintain and enforce the laws, entertain sympathy. For their unoffending families and friends as well as a feeling of compassion for themselves accordingly no proper effort has been spared and none will be spared to procure the release of such citizens of the united states engaged in this unlawful enterprise as are now in confinement in spain but it is to be hoped that such interposition with the government of that country may not be considered as affording any ground of expectation that the government of the United States will hereafter feel itself under any obligation of duty to intercede for the liberation or pardon of such persons as are flagrant offenders against the law of nations and the laws of the United States. These laws must be executed. If we desire to maintain our respectability among the nations of the earth, it behooves us to enforce steadily and sternly the neutrality acts passed by Congress, and to follow as far as may be the violation of those acts with condign punishment but what gives a peculiar criminality to this invasion of cuba is that under the lead of spanish subjects and with the aid of citizens of the united states it had its origin with many in motives of cupidity money was advanced by individuals probably in considerable amounts to purchase cuban bonds as they have been called issued by Lopez, sold, doubtless, at a very large discount, and for the payment of which the public lands and public property of Cuba, of whatever kind, and the fiscal resources of the people and government of that island, from whatever source to be derived, were pledged, as well as the good faith of the government expected to be established. All these means of payment it is evident— were only to be obtained by a process of bloodshed war and revolution none will deny that those who set on foot military expeditions against foreign states by means like these are far more culpable than the ignorant and the necessitous to whom they induced to go forth as the ostensible parties in the preceding these originators of the invasion of cuba seem to have determined with coolness and system upon an undertaking which should disgrace their country, violate its laws, and put to hazard the lives of ill-informed and deluded men, you will consider whether further legislation be necessary to prevent the perpetration of such offenses in future. No individuals have a right to hazard the peace of the country or to violate its laws upon vague notions of altering or reforming governments and other states. This principle is not only reasonable in itself and in accordance with public law, but is engrafted into the codes of other nations as well as our own. But while such are the sentiments of this government, it may be added that every independent nation must be presumed to be able to defend its possessions against unauthorized individuals banded together to attack them. The government of the United States, at all times since its establishment, has abstained and has sought to restrain the citizens of the country from entering into controversies between other powers, and to observe all the duties of neutrality. At an early period of the government, in the administration of Washington, several laws were passed for this purpose. The main provisions of these laws were reenacted by the Act of April 1818, by which, amongst other things, it was declared that— if any person shall, within the territory or jurisdiction of the United States, begin, or set on foot, or provide or prepare the means for, any military expedition or enterprise, to be carried on from thence against the territory or dominions of any foreign prince or state, or of any colony, district, or people, with whom the United States are at peace. Every person so offending shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor, and shall be fined not exceeding three thousand dollars and imprisoned not more than three years and this law has been executed and enforced to the full extent of the power of the government from that day to this in proclaiming and adhering to the doctrine of neutrality and non-intervention the united states have not followed the lead of other civilized nations they have taken the lead themselves, and have been followed by others. This was admitted by one of the most eminent of modern British statesmen, who said in Parliament, while a minister of the Crown, quote, that if he wished for a guide in a system of neutrality, he should take that laid down by America in the days of Washington and the secretaryship of Jefferson. Unquote. And we see, in fact, that the Act of Congress of 1818 was followed the succeeding year by an Act of the Parliament of England, substantially the same in its general provisions. Up to that time there had been no similar law in England, except certain highly penal statutes passed in the reign of George II, prohibiting English subjects from enlisting in foreign service, the avowed object of which statutes— was that foreign armies, raised for the purpose of restoring the house of Stuart to the throne, should not be strengthened by recruits from England herself. All must see that difficulties may arise in carrying the laws referred to in execution, in a country now having three thousand or four thousand miles of sea coast, with an infinite number of ports and harbors and small inlets, from some of which unlawful expeditious may suddenly set forth, without the knowledge of government against the possessions of foreign states friendly relations with all but entangling alliances with none has long been a maxim with us our true mission is not to propagate our opinions or to impose upon other countries our form of government by artifice or force but to teach by example and show by our success moderation and justice the blessings of self-government and the advantages of free institutions let every people choose for itself and make and alter its political institutions to suit its own condition and convenience but while we avow and maintain this neutral policy ourselves we are anxious to see the same forbearance on the part of other nations whose forms of government are different from our own the deep interest which we feel in the spread of liberal principles and the establishment of free governments and the sympathy with which we witness every struggle against oppression forbid that we should be indifferent to a case in which the strong arm of a foreign power is invoked to stifle public sentiment and repress the spirit of freedom in any country the governments of great britain and france have issued orders to their naval commanders on the west india station to prevent by force if necessary the landing of adventurers from any nation on the island of Cuba with hostile intent. The copy of a memorandum of a conversation on this subject between the charge d'affaires of her Britannic Majesty and the Acting Secretary of State and of a subsequent note of the former to the Department of State are herewith submitted, together with a copy of a note of the Acting Secretary of State to the Minister of the French Republic and of the reply of the latter on the same subject. These papers will acquaint you with the grounds of this interposition of two leading commercial powers of Europe, and with the apprehensions which this government could not fail to entertain that such interposition, if carried into effect, might lead to abuses in derogation of the maritime rights of the United States. The maritime rights of the United States are founded on a firm, secure, and well-defined basis. They stand upon the ground of national independence and public law, and will be maintained in all their full and just extent. The principle which this government has heretofore solemnly announced it still adheres to, and will maintain under all circumstances and at all hazards. That principle is that in every regularly documented merchant vessel the crew who navigate it, and those on board of it, will find their protection in the flag which is over them. No American ship can be allowed to be visited or searched for the purpose of ascertaining the character of individuals on board, nor can there be allowed any watch by the vessels of any foreign nation over American vessels on the coast of the United States, or the seas adjacent thereto. It will be seen, by the last communication from the British Charged Affairs to the Department of State, that he is authorized to assure the Secretary of State that every care will be taken, that in executing the preventive measures against the expeditions which the United States government itself has denounced as not being entitled to the protection of any government, no interference shall take place with the lawful commerce of any nation. In addition to the correspondence on this subject herewith submitted, official information has been received at the Department of State of assurances by the French government, that in the orders given to the French naval forces they were expressly instructed, in any operations they might engage in, to respect the flag of the United States wherever it might appear, and to commit no act of hostility upon any vessel or armament under its protection. Ministers and consuls of foreign nations are the means and agents of communication between us and those nations and it is of the utmost importance that while residing in the country they should feel a perfect security so long as they faithfully discharge their respective duties and are guilty of no violation of our laws this is the admitted law of nations and no country has a deeper interest in maintaining it than the united states our commerce spreads over every sea and visits every clime and our ministers and consuls are appointed to protect the interests of that commerce as well as to guard the peace of the country and maintain the honour of its flag. But how can they discharge these duties unless they be themselves protected? And if protected, it must be by the laws of the country in which they reside." and what is due to our own public functionaries residing in foreign nations is exactly the measure of what is due to the functionaries of other governments residing here as in war the bearers of flags of truce are sacred or else wars would be interminable so in peace ambassadors public ministers and consuls charged with friendly national intercourse are objects of especial respect and protection each according to the rights belonging to his rank and station in view of these important principles it is with deep mortification and regret i announce to you that during the excitement growing out of the executions at havana the office of her catholic majesty's consul at new orleans was assailed by a mob his property destroyed the spanish flag found in the office carried off and torn in pieces and he himself induced to flee for his personal safety which he supposed to be in danger on receiving intelligence of these events i forthwith directed the attorney of the united states residing at new orleans to inquire into the facts and the extent of the pecuniary loss sustained by the consul with the intention of laying them before you that you might make provision for such indemnity to him as a just regard for the honour of the nation and the respect which is due to a friendly power might in your judgment seem to require the correspondence upon this subject between the secretary of state and her catholic majesty's minister plenipotentiary is herewith transmitted the occurrence at new orleans has led me to give my attention to the state of our laws in regard to foreign ambassadors ministers and consuls i think the legislation of the country is deficient in not providing sufficiently Either for the protection or the punishment of consuls. I therefore recommend the subject to the consideration of Congress. Your attention is again invited to the question of reciprocal trade between the United States and Canada, and other British possessions near our frontier. Overtures for a convention upon this subject have been received from Her Britannic Majesty's Minister Plenipotentiary. BUT IT SEEMS TO BE IN MANY RESPECTS PREFERABLE THAT THE MATTER SHOULD BE REGULATED BY RECIPROCAL LEGISLATION. DOCUMENTS ARE LAID BEFORE YOU SHOWING THE TERMS WHICH THE BRITISH GOVERNMENT IS WILLING TO OFFER, AND THE MEASURES WHICH IT MAY ADOPT IF SOME ARRANGEMENT UPON THIS SUBJECT SHALL NOT BE MADE. FROM THE ACCOMPANYING COPY OF A NOTE FROM THE BRITISH LEGATION AT WASHINGTON, AND THE REPLY OF THE DEPARTMENT AT STATE thereto. It will appear that Her Britannic Majesty's government is desirous, that a part of the boundary line between Oregon and the British possessions should be authoritatively marked out, and that an intention was expressed to apply to Congress for an appropriation to defray the expense thereof on the part of the United States. Your attention to this subject is accordingly invited, and a proper appropriation recommended. A convention for the adjustment of claims of citizens of the United States against Portugal has been concluded, and the ratifications have been exchanged. The first installment of the amount to be paid by Portugal fell due on the 30th of September last, and has been paid. The President of the French Republic, according to the provisions of the convention, has been selected as arbiter in the case of the General Armstrong and has signified that he accepts the trust and the high satisfaction he feels in acting as the common friend of two nations with which France is united by sentiments of sincere and lasting amity. The Turkish government has expressed its thanks for the kind reception given to the sultan's agent, Amin Bey, on the occasion of his recent visit to the United States on the twenty-eighth of february last a dispatch was addressed by the secretary of state to mr marsh the american minister at constantinople instructing him to ask of the turkish government permission for the hungarians then imprisoned within the dominions of the sublime port to remove to this country on the third of march last both houses of congress passed a resolution requesting the president to authorize the employment of a public vessel to convey to this country Louis Cossuth and his associates in captivity. The instruction above referred to was complied with, and the Turkish government having released Governor Cossuth and his companions from prison, on the 10th of September last they embarked on board of the United States steam frigate Mississippi, which was selected to carry into effect their resolution of Congress. Governor Cosseth left the Mississippi at Gibraltar for the purpose of making a visit to England, and may shortly be expected in New York. By communications to the Department of State, he has expressed his grateful acknowledgments for the interposition of this government in behalf of himself and his associates. This country has been justly regarded as a safe asylum for those whom political events have exiled from their own homes in Europe and it is recommended to congress to consider in what manner governor cosseth and his companions brought hither by its authority shall be received and treated it is earnestly to be hoped that the differences which have for some time past been pending between the government of the french republic and that of the sandwich islands may be peaceably and durably adjusted so as to secure the independence of those islands Long before the events, which have of late imparted so much importance to the possessions of the United States on the Pacific, we acknowledged the independence of the Hawaiian government. This government was first in taking that step, and several of the leading powers in Europe immediately followed. We were influenced in this measure by the existing and prospective importance of the islands as a place of refuge and refreshment for our vessels engaged in the whale fishery, and by the consideration that they lie in the course of the great trade which must at no distant day be carried on between the western coast of north america and eastern asia we were also influenced by a desire that those islands should not pass under the control of any other great maritime state but should remain in an independent condition and so be accessible and useful to the commerce of all nations i need not say that the importance of these considerations has been greatly enhanced by the sudden and vast development which the interests of the united states have attained in california and oregon and the policy heretofore adopted in regard to those islands will be steadily pursued it is gratifying not only to those who consider the commercial interests of nations but also to all who favor the progress of knowledge and the diffusion of religion to see a community emerge from a savage state and attain such a degree of civilization in those distant seas it is much to be deplored that the internal tranquillity of the mexican republic should again be seriously disturbed for since the peace between that republic and the united states it had enjoyed such comparative repose that the most favorable anticipations for the future might with a degree of confidence have been indulged These, however, have been thwarted by the recent outbreak in the state of Tamaulipas, on the right bank of the Rio Bravo. Having received information that persons from the United States had taken part in the insurrection, and apprehending that their example might be followed by others, I caused orders to be issued for the purpose of preventing any hostile expeditions against Mexico from being set on foot in violation of the laws of the United States." I likewise issued a proclamation upon the subject, a copy of which is herewith laid before you. This appeared to be rendered imperative by the obligations of treaties and the general duties of good neighborhood. In my last annual message I informed Congress that citizens of the United States had undertaken the connection of the two oceans by means of a railroad across the Isthmus of Tehuantepec, under a grant of the Mexican government to a citizen of that republic, and that this enterprise would probably be prosecuted with energy whenever Mexico should consent to such stipulations with the government of the United States, as should impart a feeling of security to those who should invest their property in the enterprise. A convention between the two governments for the accomplishment of that end has been ratified by this government— and only awaits the decision of the Congress and the executive of that republic. Some unexpected difficulties and delays have arisen in the ratification of that convention by Mexico, but it is to be presumed that her decision will be governed by just and enlightened views, as well of the general importance of the object as of her own interests and obligations. In negotiating upon this important subject, this government has had in view one and only one object that object has been and is the construction or attainment of a passage from ocean to ocean the shortest and the best for travelers and merchandise and equally open to all the world it has sought to obtain no territorial acquisition nor any advantages peculiar to itself and it would see with the greatest regret that mexico should oppose any obstacle to the accomplishment of an enterprise which promises so much convenience to the whole commercial world and such eminent advantages to mexico herself impressed with these sentiments and these convictions the government will continue to exert all proper efforts to bring about the necessary arrangement with the republic of mexico for the speedy completion of the work For some months past, the Republic of Nicaragua has been the theater of one of those civil convulsions from which the cause of free institutions and the general prosperity and social progress of the states of Central America have so often and so severely suffered. Until quiet shall have been restored, and a government apparently stable shall have been organized, no advance can prudently be made in disposing of the questions pending between the two countries i am happy to announce that an interoceanic communication from the mouth of the st john to the pacific has been so far accomplished as that passengers have actually traversed it and merchandise has been transported over it and when the canal shall have been completed according to the original plan the means of communication will be further improved it is understood that a considerable part of the railroad across the isthmus of panama has been completed and that the mail and passengers will in future be conveyed thereon. Whichever of the several routes between the two oceans may ultimately prove most eligible for travelers to and from the different states, on the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico, and our coast on the Pacific, there is little reason to doubt that all of them will be useful to the public, and will liberally reward that individual enterprise by which alone they have been or are expected to be carried into effect. Peace has been concluded between the contending parties in the island of St. Domingo, and, it is hoped, upon a durable basis, such is the extent of our commercial relations with that island, that the United States cannot fail to feel a strong interest in its tranquillity. The office of Commissioner to China remains unfilled. Several persons have been appointed, and the place has been offered to others, all of whom have declined its acceptance on the ground of the inadequacy of the compensation the annual allowance by law is six thousand dollars and there is no provision for any outfit i earnestly recommend the consideration of this subject to congress our commerce with china is highly important and is becoming more and more so in consequence of the increasing intercourse between our ports on the pacific coast and eastern asia China is understood to be a country in which living is very expensive, and I know of no reason why the American commissioner sent thither should not be placed, in regard to compensation, on an equal footing with ministers who represent this country at the courts of Europe. By reference to the report to the Secretary of Treasury, it will be seen that the aggregate receipts for the last fiscal year amounted to fifty two million three hundred twelve thousand nine hundred and seventy nine dollars and eighty seven cents, which, with the balance in the Treasury on the first july eighteen fifty, gave as the available means for the year, the sum of fifty eight million nine hundred seventeen thousand five hundred twenty four dollars and thirty six cents. The total expenditures for the same period were forty eight million Five thousand eight hundred seventy eight dollars and sixty eight cents the total imports for the year ending June thirtieth eighteen fifty one were two hundred fifteen million seven hundred and twenty five thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars of which there were in specie four million nine hundred sixty seven thousand nine hundred one dollars. The exports for the same period were. of which there were of domestic products $178,546,555, foreign goods re-exported $9,738,695, specie $29,231,880, Since the 1st of December last, the payments in cash on account of the public debt, exclusive of interest, have amounted to $7,501,456.56, which, however, includes the sum of $3,242,400, paid under the twelfth article of the treaty with Mexico, and the further sum of $2,591,213.45 being the amount of awards to American citizens under the late treaty with Mexico, for which the issue of stock was authorized, but which was paid in cash from the Treasury. The public debt on the 20th Ultimo, exclusive of the stock authorized to be issued to Texas by the Act of 9th September 1850, was $62,560,395.26. The receipts for the next fiscal year are estimated at $51,800,000, which, with the probable unappropriated balance in the Treasury on the 30th June next, will give as the probable available means for that year the sum of $63,258,743.09. It has been deemed proper, in view of the large expenditures consequent upon the acquisition of territory from Mexico, that the estimates for the next fiscal year should be laid before Congress in such manner as to distinguish the expenditures so required from the otherwise ordinary demands upon the Treasury. The total expenditures for the next fiscal year are estimated at $42,892,299.19. Of which there is required for the ordinary purposes of the government other than those consequent upon the acquisition of our new territories and deducting the payments on account of the public debt the sum of thirty three million three hundred forty three thousand one hundred ninety eight dollars and eight cents and for the purposes connected directly or indirectly with those territories and in the fulfilment of the obligations of the government contracted in consequence of their acquisition the sum of 9,549,101 dollars and 11 cents if the views of the secretary of the treasury in reference to the expenditures required for these territories shall be met by corresponding action on the part of congress and appropriations made in accordance therewith there will be an estimated unappropriated balance in the treasury on the 30th june 1853 of $20,366,443.90, wherewith to meet that portion of the public debt due on the 1st of July following, amounting to $6,237,931.35, as well as any appropriations which may be made beyond the estimates. In thus referring to the estimated expenditures on account of our newly acquired territories, I may express the hope that congress will concur with me in the desire that a liberal course of policy may be pursued toward them and that every obligation express or implied entered into in consequence of their acquisition shall be fulfilled by the most liberal appropriations for that purpose the values of our domestic exports for the last fiscal year as compared with those of the previous year Exhibit an increase of $43,646,322. At first view, this condition of our trade with foreign nations would seem to present the most flattering hopes of its future prosperity. An examination of the details of our exports, however, will show that the increased value of our exports for the last fiscal year is to be found in the high price of cotton, which prevailed during the first half of that year, which price has since declined about one-half. The value of our exports of breadstuffs and provisions, which it was supposed the incentive of a low tariff and large importations from abroad would have greatly augmented, has fallen from $68,701,921 in 1847 to $26,051,373 in 1850, and to $21,948,653 in 1851, with a strong probability amounting almost to a certainty of a still further reduction in the current year. The aggregate values of rice exported during the last fiscal year, as compared with the previous year, also exhibit a decrease, amounting to $460,917 which with a decline in the values of the exports of tobacco for the same period make an aggregate decrease in these two articles of one million one hundred fifty six thousand seven hundred fifty one dollars the policy which dictated a low rate of duties on foreign merchandise it was thought by those who promoted and established it would tend to benefit the farming population of this country by increasing the demand and raising the price of agricultural products in foreign markets. The foregoing facts, however, seem to show incontestably that no such result has followed the adoption of this policy. On the contrary, notwithstanding the repeal of the restrictive corn laws in England, the foreign demand for the products of the American farmer has steadily declined, since the short crops and consequent famine in a portion of Europe have been happily replaced by full crops and comparative abundance of food it will be seen by recurring to the commercial statistics for the past year that the value of our domestic exports has been increased in the single item of raw cotton by forty million dollars over the value of that export for the year preceding this is not due to any increased general demand for that article but to the short crop of the preceding year which created an increased demand and an augmented price for the crop of last year should the cotton crop now going forward to market be only equal in quantity to that of the year preceding and be sold at the present prices then there would be a falling off in the value of our exports for the present fiscal year of at least forty million dollars compared with the amount exported for the year ending thirtieth june eighteen fifty one the production of gold in california for the past year seems to promise a large supply of that metal from that quarter for some time to come this large annual increase of the currency of the world must be attended with its usual results these have been already partially disclosed in the enhancement of prices and the rising spirit of speculation and adventure "'tending to overtrading, as well at home as abroad. "'Unless some salutary check shall be given to these tenancies, "'it is to be feared that importations of foreign goods, "'beyond a healthy demand in this country, "'will lead to a sudden drain of the precious metals from us, "'bringing with it, as it has done in former times, "'the most disastrous consequences "'to the business and capital of the American people.' The exports of specie to liquidate our foreign debt during the past fiscal year have been $24,963,979 over the amount of specie imported. The exports of specie during the first quarter of the present fiscal year have been 14651827 Should specie continue to be exported at this rate for the remaining three quarters of this year, It will drain from our metallic currency during the year ending 30th June 1852 the enormous amount of $58,607,308. In the present prosperous condition of the national finances, it will become the duty of Congress to consider the best mode of paying off the public debt. If the present and anticipated surplus in the Treasury should not be absorbed by appropriations of an extraordinary character, This surplus should be employed in such way and under such restrictions as Congress may enact in extinguishing the outstanding debt of the nation. By reference to the Act of Congress, approved 9th September 1850, it will be seen that, in consideration of certain concessions by the State of Texas, it is provided that the United States shall pay to the State of Texas the sum of $10 million dollars in a stock bearing 5% interest, and redeemable at the end of 14 years, the interest payable half-yearly at the Treasury of the United States. In the same section of the law it is further provided that no more than five millions of said stock shall be issued until the creditors of the State holding bonds and other certificates of stock of Texas, for which duties on imports were specially pledged, shall first file at the Treasury of the United States releases of all claims against the United States for or on account of said bonds or certificates, in such form as shall be prescribed by the Secretary of the Treasury and approved by the President of the United States. The form of release thus provided for has been prescribed by the Secretary of the Treasury and approved. It has been published in all the leading newspapers in the commercial cities of the United States and all persons holding claims of the kind specified in the foregoing proviso were required to file their releases in the form thus prescribed in the treasury of the united states on or before the first day of october eighteen fifty one although this publication has been continued from the twenty-fifth day of march eighteen fifty one yet up to the first of october last comparatively few releases had been filed by the creditors of texas The authorities of the State of Texas, at the request of the Secretary of the Treasury, have furnished a schedule of the public debt of that State, created prior to her admission into the Union, with a copy of the laws under which each class was contracted. I have, from the documents furnished by the State of Texas, determined the classes of claims which, in my judgment, fall within the provisions of the Act of Congress of the ninth of September, 1850. On being officially informed of the acceptance of Texas of the propositions contained in the Act referred to, I caused the stock to be prepared, and the five millions which are to be issued unconditionally, bearing an interest of five percent from the first day of January 1851, have been for some time ready to be delivered to the State of Texas. The authorities of Texas up to the present time have not authorized anyone to receive this stock and it remains in the treasury department subject to the order of texas the releases required by law to be deposited in the treasury not having been filed there the remaining five millions have not been issued this last amount of the stock will be withheld from texas until the conditions upon which it is to be delivered shall be complied with by the creditors of that state unless congress shall otherwise direct by a modification of the law In my last annual message, to which I respectfully refer, I stated briefly the reasons which induced me to recommend a modification of the present tariff, by converting the ad valorem into a specific duty, wherever the article imported was of such a character as to permit it, and that such a discrimination should be made in favor of the industrial pursuits of our own country, as to encourage home production without excluding foreign competition." the numerous frauds which continue to be practiced upon the revenue by false invoices and undervaluations constitute an unanswerable reason for adopting specific instead of ad valorem duties in all cases where the nature of the commodity does not forbid it a striking illustration of these frauds will be exhibited in the report of the secretary of the treasury showing the custom house valuation of articles imported under a former law subject to specific duties when there was no inducement to undervaluation and the custom house valuations of the same articles under the present system of ad valorem duties so greatly reduced as to leave no doubt of the existence of the most flagrant abuses under the existing laws this practical evasion of the present law combined with the languishing condition of some of the great interests of the country caused by over-importations and consequent depressed prices and with the failure in obtaining a foreign market for our increasing surplus of breadstuffs and provisions has induced me again to recommend a modification of the existing tariff the report of the secretary of the interior which accompanies this communication will present a condensed statement of the operations of that important department of the government End of section five.